you're listening to episode 49 of the Take the Reins podcast with Nikki Porter. Hi friends, oh my gosh, welcome to 2021. We officially made it and I can't help but tell you how proud I am of you for getting through the year that is now behind us and we are looking forward, moving down the trail and I am so excited for what 2021 will bring. But Right now, one thing it has not brought me is my computer back. So right now, I bought a new computer because I am tired of waiting, but Nova Scotia was hit with a little bit of a snowstorm, and even though I got a new computer, it is currently stuck in Halifax. So you are with me again on a bare naked episode, and hopefully next week, next Tuesday, you will find me back with Take the Reins with uh, some better curated content. Until then, here we are. It's no big deal. Anyway, I'm really thankful for you to be here listening today. If this is your first time, welcome. If you've been with me before, thank you. I appreciate you being here. And for today's episode, I had a thought. I realized that not all of you who are listening know me on a personal level and sometimes I feel like the only ones that listen to me actually know me. So I thought it would be fun if I shared a little bit more about my story. Now, this story in particular, it's not about me as a person for my whole 37 years of life. It's more about my year last year in 2020, and it's my story of resiliency. So I was invited by a dear friend of mine, Karen Dean, to be a contributing author in her book called We Are Unbreakable. And this is an incredible project that was put together by Karen in support of the families of the victims lost during the mass shooting in Nova Scotia this past year. I am honored to be a part of this project, and today I'm going to share with you my story from We Are Unbreakable, and I encourage you to find the book on Amazon and purchase it to be able to read the other amazing stories of resiliency for women in Nova Scotia in 2020. The proceeds of this work will be donated to the Nova Scotia Remembers Legacy Society to establish a bursary program aimed at women in our communities who have overcome adversity and barriers to pursue their education and that demonstrate the qualities of resiliency and strength that are captured in the book. The Nova Scotia Remembers Legacy Society evolved out of the desire to do something when we all felt so helpless in the face of an unspeakable loss we experienced in rural Nova Scotia as the result of the shooting in April 2020 in which 23 lives were taken from their families and communities. The vision of this legacy is one that will, over the long run, lift up those experiencing the deepest loss and the communities whose resilience will be their pillar of strength moving forward. Our society will seek to achieve this vision by supporting education, grief and trauma supports, and community development initiatives. Further, they will work directly with families, communities, governments, and other stakeholders in establishing and maintaining one or more permanent long-term memorials to ensure we always remember those who are so unfairly taken from us. I am so proud to be a part of this book and grateful for Karen Dean. You can find her on Instagram 
at Karen Dean Speaks for inviting me along to help contribute to such an incredible and meaningful cause. Okay, so I'm going to share with you now my chapter in We Are Unbreakable. Like many others, I welcomed 2020 with open arms. I truly felt it was going to be my year. I entered into the year lit on fire to meet my goals, make an impact, and create momentum into the next five years. The year started magically. I felt supported, guided, and inspired, all absolutely necessary for me to achieve my dreams as a successful entrepreneur. You see, I'm a dreamer, a doer, and a creator, and my journey is one that I feel excited every day to embark on. But it wasn't all that long ago that I felt drained, stretched too thin, and out of touch with who I was and where I wanted to go. In 2009, I became a classroom teacher with all the same vigor I bring into my entrepreneurial work today. But over time, I discovered that I could not sustain that energy. After nine years of committing myself to the profession, it became very clear to me that I was not on the right path for my mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. I'd like to share a story with you that I wrote in my book, The Conscious Communicator. It is one that warrants repeating and will give you great insight into my lofty 2020 goals. In 2017, I was a new wife. My husband and I had been married for less than a year. I was the mother of a busy three-year-old who I first left in the care of someone else to return to work at the age of four months. She was so tiny and so innocent. The nature of my career made being away from work difficult. It was then that I truly experienced deep-seated and emotionally shattering guilt for the first time. I had felt guilt in little waves throughout life up to that point. I forgot to return my library book and I found it after I had moved. I lied to my mom. I kissed a boy I was told to stay away from. I forgot to feed the dog. The list goes on. You know, those little baubles that make you have an upset feeling in your stomach that makes you pay a little closer attention next time or to not procrastinate when asked to do something important. No, this guilt was nothing like a little sick feeling in my stomach as a motivator to do the right thing. It was an emotional waterfall that rushed from my head to my toes and it shook me to my core. I had been warned when I was pregnant about what some moms refer to as mom guilt. I began experiencing this as soon as I found out I was pregnant. To hear others acknowledge it made me feel less unhinged. However, it did not make it stop. Although I had been warned and felt better knowing I was not alone, it still did not prepare me for the gravity with which the guilt would consume me. In fact, the only thing I have found that has helped me in the last three years was when I decided to start taking care of myself, mentally, emotionally, and physically. You would think that focusing more on my own well-being would do the opposite, that I would feel guilty for prioritizing my needs, yet it didn't. I began to feel more in control. I was regaining energy and I was able to see that changes needed to be made clearly. 
guilt was consuming my inner world. While on maternity leave, my substitutes, yes multiple, had a difficult time with my students on my class lists. Guilt. When I returned to work, my daughter was being rocked to sleep by someone else. Guilt. My time to mark and plan lessons interrupted the little time I had with my only baby. Guilt. My husband got what was left of me at the end of a long and emotionally draining day. There was nothing left for him. Guilt. I had been so focused on my new normal, I had forgotten important things, like calling my family. Guilt. The guilt did not stop after I got into my new routines, as I was reassured would happen by so many. I had a baby who slept delightfully well, bringing with, its, bringing with it its own guilt as I spoke to new moms, friends struggling night and day to get their baby to just stop crying and go to sleep. Although she was a good baby, she still required so much of me every day, more and more. With every passing day, she slept a little less and needed ever-changing attention. As if that was not enough, with tears being shed in the morning and often as I laid her down to sleep at night, I also had responsibilities to help my soon-to-be husband care for our abundance of animals, what I refer to as our fur children. As our home life blossomed, so did our horse business and so did the guilt. I felt guilty for not riding my horse, not helping with chores, and without my husband quite understanding the pressure, self-induced or not, I received subtle and not-so-subtle jabs about my absence from the barn. He wasn't doing it to be mean or make me feel worse. I felt that he did not quite understand how difficult it was for me to be feeling like I was only able to give 25% of my effort and time to multiple things I expected to be able to put 100% into. The time outside my classroom began to fill with more work and my ability to say no was non-existent. With every yes, I felt guilty, but I knew that the guilt of a no would be even more damaging. I felt within my heart that I was failing in every aspect of my life. As someone with high personal expectations, maybe due to being a teacher as well, failing was tearing me apart. As with every career, maybe more so in public service jobs, the expectation to give your all is put upon you by yourself and also by the ever-critical and scrutinizing public. I was not arriving to work early as I had in my first few years. I felt like I was barely able to get there at all. I was arriving on time, yet that was not good enough in my eyes. I felt as though it was not good enough in the eyes of many other teachers I passed as I felt their judging glares as I hurried by them tea and keys in hand. My mind was so convinced I was doing wrong that it convinced me others thought the same. I knew that they had been there long before me and I was sure they felt that I was not holding up to their standard as a competent colleague. 
I'm not sure if they were actually judging me at the time or if I was so frustrated with myself that my ego was doing a great job of making it seem like everyone else noticed that I was a failure as well. If they were judging me, I do not blame them. Early on in my career, I likely judged some other teacher who I thought was arriving too late or leaving too early with no regard for their life beyond the classroom. This is very common in the teaching profession, and I believe even teachers tend to make this mistake thinking that when you become a teacher, that is it, and that title defines you entirely. No one close to me thought I was failing. They all thought I was doing what was best and doing a good job at it, or so I was told. But I felt weighted. In my mind, I was a disappointment to the true definition of the word. I was feeling deep sadness and displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of my hopes and expectations of myself. I was not sick or depressed. I did not suffer from postpartum, unlike so many others who suffer in denial or silence, and my heart goes out to them. I was overwhelmed with life. My personal responsibility was to make a change to allow myself to grow and offer as much to myself as I do others. To do this, I had to find the light I had lost. When I began to make small changes to my daily practices, I felt my guilt shift inside of me. I had moments of personal reassurance telling myself that I would get control and I would not always feel this way. One day, I had the thought that I should leave teaching. I let it sit in my mind for a while before I allowed it to escape my lips. Let me tell you about guilt. Wow, I felt it rush over me as if to put me back in my place. How dare I walk away from something so good? I worked hard to get to where I was, and I had a lot of help along the way, from emotional to financial support, from my parents and to job opportunities placed practically in my lap. I had benefits and security and summers off. How could someone think they should leave a job where they have summers off? I allowed myself to work through these thoughts and combat them with the truth. I discovered that I already knew none of that was important. I began slowly telling people that I was making a change, and for the most part, I was met with amazing positivity. I could feel the old and inspired self I once knew surfacing at times and as I became married to the idea of leaving my full-time teaching position, I had more of these moments and I began to feel more inspired to create change. I found myself removing the title classroom teacher from my shoulders like a wet blanket. I was slowly sliding it off one shoulder at a time, and with every movement from under this blanket, I was acknowledging the weight that was being lifted. I gradually set all guilt of leaving my career as a classroom teacher aside because I discovered that it wasn't the teacher part that was unhealthy for me. It was the formal classroom part. After leaving teaching, I soon discovered my desire to teach was stronger than ever. I was just ready to teach my own curriculum in a classroom designed for growth and development for both my students and myself 
in a whole new way. Okay, fast forward through some major personal growth moments and massive learning curves, and I was entering into 2020 with the new titles of Equestrian Mindset Coach, Podcast Host, and author within my business, Nikki Porter Coaching. My vision was clear and my path was being paved, and then came the roadblock that was 2020 and all it had in store for me and the rest of the world. My world was rocked in many ways. I could have chosen this year to do what was easy for me and to claim defeat and return to what I knew would offer me more stability and a more familiar pressure. I could have quit, but instead, I chose to pivot. As the world shut down due to the spread of COVID-19, my house began to fill. Our lovely friend from Quebec was staying with us when when the pandemic hit, and my sister and her boyfriend needed a place to stay. Our little family of three, quickly turned into a family of six. And while others were feeling isolated and alone, our house began to feel overwhelmingly full. Now in saying this, I would not have chosen to spend our shutdown any other way or with anyone else. But we built a home without even a thought of having a child, let alone ourselves, a child, and three other grown adults. During my time off, I decided to take a course or two that I felt I needed to move my very young business forward. I invested a lot of money into my education during this time and felt like I would have it all figured out by the end of quarantine. Unfortunately, when the world began to open back up, I was still feeling a little shell-shocked from the incredible amount of work creating a business from the ground up was taking and was clearly going to continue to take for a very long time. In between my long hours behind my computer screen, I did have a lot of fun while most of the non-essentials of the world were resting. My daughter, a brilliant seven-year-old with not a lick of horse craze like her two parents, learned how to have fun at the barn, and we spent quality time with our animals and each other. Prior to quarantine, we would go to a local restaurant in New Brunswick, only a short 15-minute drive for those of us in Amherst, on Tuesday nights. When the border shut down, we had to find a new routine. We cooked meals together, drank lots of wine, created evening menus, and celebrated birthdays all around our own table. When spring arrived, it felt like we had a glimmer of hope that life would soon return to normal. We weren't 100% sure what the new normal would look like, and to be honest, there were a few things I planned to leave behind in my new normal, and a few things that I had decided to adopt inspired by her unexpected interruption to life. I could feel the weight of the winter cold lift and our spirits get lighter as the promises of April came our way. April is a special month for me. I was born in April and I always felt like it offered me a feeling of renewed life. I imagine it offered me what many get out of the beginning of the new year in January. April started out so promising and quickly turned in a direction I could never imagine possible. After April 18th and 19th of 2020, I will never feel the same about April again. 
I will now associate this month with unimaginable loss and hurt, but rather than allow Canada's deadliest mass shooting in modern history to destroy my favorite month of the year, I commit to creating a month that reminds me of what I live for, one that reminds me to show up for those I love as my best self every day because I have been taught how precious life truly is. I will not allow hate to live and grow in my heart. I commit to using the pain felt during that unspeakable time to spread more love and create an even bigger impact. In my practice, I teach horse owners the importance of living and communicating consciously with an emphasis on the concept that soft is strong. Nova Scotia showed me a beautiful example of this in real life while supporting and embracing one another during and after the shooting, and it will continue to motivate my work. Like many others, the disruption to my routine, the immense amounts of unknowns, the financial pressures, the lack of answers, and the fear that was flooding our media sat heavy on my heart. By early June, I found myself in an internal battle unlike one I had fought before. I have done a lot of personal healing and growth work over the last decade, and I have pulled myself out of some pretty low places, but there was something about this particular time that felt different, foreign even. It was as if every cell in my body was buckling under the pressure around me, The pressure I was putting on myself and the pressure I felt as the human race was learning how to navigate so many new waters. One day, when we were finally able to social distance in small groups, I met up with two close girlfriends. I remember that day crystal clear for two reasons. First, I bought both my daughter and myself our first masks. I remember feeling strange buying into the fear as I heard someone else's voice play in my head as I paid for them, and even more strange putting it on my face for the first time. Funny how six months can change so much. I officially feel naked in public without a mask. The second and more profound part of that particular day was the absolute breakdown I experienced while feeling supported and heard by two ladies who likely felt no less a mess, but showed me the epitome of soft and strong as they listened to me. Through sobs that started in my legs and ended in my shoulders, I let it all out. I told them I thought that there might be something wrong with me. Over the last six months or so, I had found it increasingly difficult to find my words, both in my head and out loud. I was having a hard time focusing. I was forgetting simple words and simple tasks. I wasn't able to articulate myself. All incredibly alarming for someone who essentially speaks for a living. There were a few other things that were weighing on me. I was less patient. I was feeling less rational. I was feeling an overall sense of pressure that was making me want to run. And what did it say about me as a mindset coach if I was having these problems? I told my friends that day that I just wanted to leave everything behind. Despite my absolute gratitude I normally have for my family, my mind was telling me that it would all be better if I just packed up and started over somewhere else. Luckily, 
My friends showed up for me exactly as I needed them to. They let me cry it out. They met me where I was, but we all knew they weren't going to leave me there. We hiked to the bottom of a waterfall that day, my eyes red and puffy and my heart pouring out all of the things it was holding inside. We sat in the woods sharing Oreos, stories, and feelings, knowing that coming together that day may have been a saving grace for each of us in our own ways. When it was time to head back home to our loving husbands and children, we all seemed to walk a little lighter. With each step I took back to the truck from the bottom of that waterfall, I pictured walking away from all of the pressure and overwhelm I released that day. I made a conscious choice to leave it behind rather than me leave behind all the ones I truly love, including myself. When I got back to the car after saying goodbye, I felt a little more like myself than I had in a long time. I knew this was not the end to my struggle, it was just the beginning, but I was able to see my ability to work through it. The next day, I sat in the kitchen with my husband and told him exactly what I had been feeling. I cried as he asked me what I needed from him because I still wasn't quite sure, but it turned out that what I needed was exactly what he offered me that day. He offered me his attention his ear, and his understanding. Even if I knew he didn't fully understand, he was trying. That day, he took all of the pressure off of me. He gave me everything I needed for the next few months to heal as I needed. He saw I was struggling, and when he took the time to ask me why, he discovered that I wasn't looking for him to fix anything. I just needed him to give me time. As more restrictions lifted and the weather got warmer, we were able to head to our beach. I knew it was one of the places that would help me get back to being me. I sat quietly, I listened to audiobooks, I watched the kids play, and I sat quietly some more. I watched my life for some time as if it were someone else's and I saw my family and myself from another perspective. I allowed myself the time to grieve the state of the world, and as I released my hurt, my words slowly returned. When I was not at the beach, I continued my work at home. One habit I adopted was to love on and interact with my horse like I would have when I was a little girl. There were no horse shows due to COVID-19, so all pressure was off there too. When I saw him, I would go to him and just say hi. My favorite time of day with him was around 10 a.m. every sunny, sunny morning. Luckily, this past summer offered us a lot of those. That was his nap time in the sun. I would grab my breakfast and run out to the pasture like I did when I was a child, and I would just sit and eat with him. One day, as I sat next to him eating my breakfast sandwich and drinking my tea, he laid his head on me and he went fast to sleep. I wiggled underneath him and I got us both comfy and I sat with him softly rubbing his cheek. He was so relaxed and trusting and I was so incredibly grateful for him and his ability to heal my heart. As I sit and write this, it is November 11th, 2020. Today is a day of remembering. I am spending it with my husband, 
daughter, dog, and horses. Today, I am remembering those who sacrificed their lives and freedom for my own and my family's, but my remembering will not stop there. Today and every day, I will remember the year 2020, a year that began with hope and promise, then shook the world to its core. It knocked me off balance and left me to pick myself back up. But when I did, I found myself feeling stronger and more determined than ever before. 2020 was tough, but you know what? We, the dreamers, doers, and feelers of the world, are tougher, and we will use the lessons learned this past year to transform us into healers of ourselves and others. 2020 will leave behind a lot of healing to do as individuals and as a society. It will hurt and it will take time, but as we learn to let go and trust ourselves and others again, this world will be transformed by love. Thank you for listening to my story from an incredible book put together by an equally incredible woman, Karen Dean. And if you would like to support Karen and the rest of the authors, as well as a great cause, you can find the book on Amazon. And I highly encourage you to check it out. And I thank you if you do. Okay, so lastly today, if you are a horsewoman looking to transform your way of being and thinking in 2021, email me at nikki at nikkiporter.ca to get on the wait list for the Aware Horsewoman Pilot Program. This is a program that myself and Beth Killo are currently putting together and is going to be launched early 2021. So as of today, it is January 4th, which is crazy because I feel like January is going to be over before it even gets started at the pace it's going right now, but it's okay. Beth and I will let you know through email as soon as the doors open for this program. It's going to be phenomenal and it's going to heighten your awareness, not only in your horsemanship, but your life. And I cannot wait to work with you. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this episode found you well, and I will see you next time on the Take the Reins podcast.